Amen. Father, we don't even realize just how much we need you. Lord, we, we know it, and yet, Lord, there's a depth in which we don't know it. And, but Lord, we, we believe by faith that you are our defense. We know that you are our righteousness. We thank you, Jesus, that you have brought us here this morning to worship you in spirit and truth. And Lord, uh, as we lift our voices, may you prepare us now to hear from your word. And uh, Lord, it's all these things we pray in your name. Amen. Take a moment to say hi to those around you and then find your seat. For revival and uh, we're praying for Israel today. I mean, uh, this is uh, their 9-11. Uh, 9-11 for us was a wake-up call. And for the most part, America had hit the snooze button after the first six weeks. Uh, I keep praying that we answer the alarm calls that God, <laughs> he has a lot of alarm clocks that have gone off. Katrina, you know, hurricane, uh, wildfires, what happened in Hawaii, all these things. There's lots of God saying, hey, time is short. Turn to me while you still can. And so we have a lot of opportunities. But Israel, I, I, I love the nation of Israel. We, we have a trip planned there. Uh, we'll see how that all turns out. That's in February as of now. But um, yeah, they need our prayers and and most of Israel is like America. Most of Israel is not saved. Tiny, tiny. Actually, less. we have percentage-wise, probably more Americans are believers than Israel. About you know, 1% of the country, maybe 2 3% max, knows the Lord. And the vast, vast majority of people in Israel are non-religious. And then you have the very religious, like the Orthodox. But uh, they need their Messiah. They need Yeshua. And uh, the Iron Dome really can't protect them. Jesus can uh, our Pentagon can't def protect us. Uh, you should know by now that we've uh, had all kinds of things that have come through. The, how do we? Uh, father, I, I feel like our country is ten fingers trying to plug a fifteen-hole dam, you know. And so we're kind of doing like this, but it really, and Israel's in the same boat. They've got a lot of enemies. They've got a lot of things that are going on that uh, that they try and maintain control over, but. Uh, really, it's only God can be their protector and our protector. But ultimately, this is all to bring people to faith in Jesus. And Jesus himself said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you, but you were not willing. And I believe God says that to America. New York, New York, L.A., L.A., Richmond, Richmond, how I long to gather you, but you're not willing. And we'll suffer what's coming, because not because God didn't warn us, but because we said, hey, uh, we're, we're just fine on our own. God's like, all right. But he still extends his hands of grace. That's why we pray for revival and repentance, because all of us at one time were not willing to come to the Lord. At some point, he softened our hearts, and we came to our senses. And that's why we pray for revival, that people would come to their senses, and that God would heal those that are hurting there in Israel, in our own country, and they'd find forgiveness. And as we're going to look at in 2 Corinthians, um, this world is just something we're passing through. So we want to look beyond all of that. So if you're able, uh, we didn't do it last week. And by the way, I wanted to say thanks to Dr. Uh, Rich Burkle. Was he not great last Sunday? It was a real blessing to have him share. Um, it, was, it was a blessing to, to have him share the word. He did a great job sharing from uh, Second Kings there. And, uh, and I was blessed, and I hope you guys were as well. And I know they really have uh, found a... Uh, a good visiting home when they're here uh, in Richmond visiting Jackson and Taylor. So uh, it was a blessing to have him share the word. And if you didn't hear it, it's out at the archive. But let's, if you're able, we didn't do it last Sunday. 
But we are, are able to this morning. If you're able to get on your knees, we're going to just get on our knees for just a moment. Humble ourselves before the Lord. I bet you in the old days, the prophets, when what happened in Israel, they would throw ashes and sackcloth and ashes on and be praying fervently. So let's just, in our hearts, have that kind of humbleness before the Lord. And we'll pray for revival in our country and in Israel and the world. Father, we just humble ourselves again under your mighty hand. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you have reached out to us with grace. And Lord, if we have come to know you as our Lord and Savior, you saved us by grace. And Lord, we ask first and foremost for us in this room, Lord, that you would stir in us a deeper love for you, a revival a first affections for you, a renewing, a refreshing of our faith in you. Lord, even the passage we'll read from this morning, I pray that it stirs in us a deeper desire to walk and talk with you until you call us home. Lord, we thank you for our salvation, but Lord, we pray for so many that don't know you. Here and in Israel and around the world, there's so many, Lord, that are still in darkness. And we were too, Lord. We, we trusted in ourselves or the things that we had or the things that we thought would bring us pleasure, Lord, but uh, we know that these things bring death and destruction. We see the addictions in our country. We see the confusion. We see the idolatry. We see the materialism. We see uh, the division, the hatred, the racism, all the things that we see, Lord, that are all products of man not knowing God is his Lord and Savior. And so, Lord, we pray that you would open eyes that are in darkness, those that are in chains, Lord, in our own country. We pray for the hurting people in Israel, Lord. We pray that they would turn to Yeshua, their Messiah. We pray in this country we would turn to the living God, Lord, not just say we God we trust in our currency, but, Lord, meet it in our hearts. And, Lord, we pray that there would be a turning back to you in the pulpits of this country. Lord, we pray that there would be a repentance in the church. We pray, Lord that our leaders in Washington would repent, Lord. Uh, it's not that they're not bright or capable people, Lord, but their incompetence is based on human flawed knowledge, which is no knowledge at all, Lord. We need the knowledge of the Lord. And so, Lord, we pray for our leaders that they would turn to you and that they would repent. And, Lord, that they would receive the wisdom that comes from above, Lord, and salvation uh, would sweep across our major cities, our rural cities, uh, and uh, Lord, we just see people being baptized and coming to Christ. We pray for a, a harvest in this country. We pray for one in Israel, Lord. We know that darker days will come in the tribulation period, but Lord, until then, we pray that there is a harvest of people coming to faith in Israel. Lord, even use these current situations to use Sam and, and others that are in Israel, Lord, to bring people to the Messiah and saving knowledge of Jesus. 
We ask, Lord, these things. We also pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters all over the world that you would comfort them, deliver them, and heal them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you uh, for praying with us this morning. As I mentioned, we'll get back in the book of Acts next week. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. And then we'll read the other verses uh, a little bit later in the study. Verses 1 through 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven, If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we don't want to be unclothed, but rather, rather, but further clothed, that mortality might be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared for us this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, We are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I trust also well known in your consciences. Let's pray. Father, we come again to open your word to hear from you. I want to hear from you, Lord. I've studied, I've prepared, and yet I still want to hear from you even at this moment. And Lord, I pray that I would receive your help, your strength, your wisdom, your understanding. And Lord, all of us would have soft, pliable hearts and open listening to ears what Jesus, you are saying to your church. Speak to those that are watching online, those that are out in the fellowship hall, those in this room, and Lord, may we leave here closer to you than we came. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like so many passages of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's rich, it's deep, it's an exhorting text. And much of what's written here, we might know it theologically, we might know it intellectually, but yet there are things that we need to more fully appreciate to be reminded of, to pray through as we follow the path that Jesus has set for us. And yes, he has a path set for you specifically and me specifically. And whether you've been saved for one day, and if you are, I'd love to meet you, or 50 years, some of you I've already met, what the Holy Spirit lays out through the Apostle Paul are truths that will carry us today, and for a lifetime as we set our minds and our hearts above. 
If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning, Heavenly Minded on an Earthly Mission. We've probably all heard the quote sometime in our lifetime, unless you're really, really young, because young people haven't heard certain quotes yet, so uh, they've not been around long enough. But most of you probably heard this quote. Some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Yeah, good job. You know, we don't even do responsive things here, but that was great. Maybe we'll start to add that. But it's attributed, if you've heard that quote, and obviously many of you had, that quote is attributed to the 19th century poet and physician Oliver Wendell Holmes. So that's who we believe originated that statement. So heavenly minded, no earthly good. I think we can understand what he's saying. I understood what he's saying. I get the point of what he's saying without anyone explaining it to me. I know what he means by that statement. But the reality is this. We can actually only be of earthly good as it relates to the will of God, as it relates to the kingdom of God, if we're heavenly minded. You have to be heavenly minded to be any earthly good as it relates to Jesus. Now, you can be earthly good and help cure cancer, but that doesn't mean you're doing the will of God. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I appreciate that you can do all kinds of things. But we have to be heavenly minded. Our eyes have to be set on Jesus. Our ears have to be hearing and following his word. Uh, we know this because the word tells us in Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on things above, not on the earth. Anyone ever been disappointed with when you set your mind on things of the earth? You just dreamed about that vacation for months. It was a disaster. I've had it. You've had it. Because those things are temporal, they don't guarantee anything. To be truly heavenly minded is to be eternally minded, eternity minded, and walking in both the salvation we have received and the mission we've been given. Every believer has been given a mission. The same mission, just different aspects within the same mission. But we'll look uh, briefly this morning at three overarching truths and guides, if you will, to be looking up with hope and living out the mission and calling that Jesus has given us. And these are the three overarching truths that I will fit in in the next several minutes. A glorious assurance that we'll look at first. A coming appointment, we all have one, and a gracious accountability. We've all been given an accountability, which we'll look at in verses 12 through 21. This first one, uh, this overarching truth or guide, a glorious assurance, and I've got some sub-bullet points here. I do a little different when I'm doing a topical message when I'm doing verse-by-verse teaching. So uh, if you say, hey, this is a little different, that depends on the kind of teaching I'm doing. But what a definitive and assuring word when you look back at verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, mine has freckles on it, I don't know about yours, but this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What a de- it's such a definitive and assuring word in these opening verses that kick off these 21 verses of chapter, uh, chapter 5. Understand that what is said here, this isn't some heavenly insurance policy in case 
world, in case your life on earth isn't all you hoped it could be, you could actually have instead heaven. It's not a backup plan. This is God's plan. This is just a temporary thing to get to the planned homecoming with Jesus. We have this promised home here in verse 1. I love the statement. It says, for we know if, and you say, hold on, if, if our earthly tent, what do you mean if? Everyone dies. Everyone's body is going to die. But Paul, who taught the doctrine of the rapture, might have said when, if the rapture wasn't a fact. But since the rapture is a fact, it's more of an if statement. If, you, if you're in the rapture, your body will never turn into dust. You'll go from this body to your glorified body all in one fell swoop. But that's only for when, whoever is still on the earth when Jesus takes the rapture and brings the church up. So there would be no disintegration of the body. There would be no decay of the body. So he says, if this tent is destroyed, if we're caught up in the rapture, then your tent's never destroyed. It just goes from this earthly tent to this glorious new body that we would receive. So it's a 100% accurate statement to say if in this case. But if our body fades naturally through death, which is what's happened for the last 6,000 years, anyone who's already passed, we know if we go dig up the grave, it's nothing but dust and ashes. But if our body fades, we have a building not made with hands that's waiting for us. Um, and you might ask the question, well, is... Is when he says that there is a building not made with hands, is this speaking of the new bodies we'll receive, or is this speaking of the new homes that Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you? You know the answer to this. Yes. It's speaking of both simultaneously. It's about your body and about the mansions that Jesus is preparing. Of course, they're already ready, but uh, that he's preparing for us. Uh, but this word tent you know, as a metaphor for our bodies. It's not a word that you hear people out in society probably say, hey, uh, my tent's not doing it. You, go to your doctor's this week, and if you have a doctor appointment, just say, I'm here to talk about my tent. He might, would you go camping this weekend or something like that? He will not know off the bat what you're talking about. Now, if he is a church-going Christian person, he might say, are you talking about the scriptures? Are you talking about your body here? But most people, if you say, I want to talk to you about my tent, they're like, L.L. Bean shopping or whatever, uh, that kind of thing. But uh, it's a metaphor for our bodies. And when it says that the tent, if our tent is destroyed, uh, or understanding in the Greek what this means, is destroyed, it means to be struck down or taking the tent down, to, to literally take it down. And Spurgeon had this to say. He said, many people are in a great fright about the future, when they think about their body fading and them dying. Many people are in a great fright about the future, yet here is Paul viewing the worst thing that could happen to him with such complacency that he likens it to nothing worse than the pulling down of a tent in which he was making shift to reside. He, he was making shift to reside for a little season. When you think of the word tent, you can think temporary. What you have in this tent might temporary tent is now 54 years of age. And some of you have a younger tent, some of you have an older tent, but it's still a temporary tent. Amen? Doesn't matter what age your tent is, it's still temporary. You can lease a car for one year or three years, it's still a lease. And so we have a short lease on this tent we've been given. 
But as a believer, you don't have to be afraid of this tent folding. You can actually look forward to it folding. Some of you are saying, I cannot wait for this thing to fold. You know? <laughs> You're not trying to get there. You just know that when it comes. The second point, I want to look at a current groaning. He goes on to say, for in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven if indeed having been clothed we shall not be found naked for we who are in this tent anyone who's still alive walking the earth being burdened not because we want to be unclothed but to be further clothed we'll stop right there uh, in these bodies paul says we groan it means to sigh you ever sigh <sighs> oh i wish I wish it was still Sunday. This is what you'll be saying tomorrow about 11 o'clock. You know, I wish it was still Sunday. It's desiring to be clothed with our habitation from heaven. It's really our soul. It's our spirit that longs for a new habitation. That's why we always want to go somewhere. We're always desiring a different place. We're always desiring a little getaway. We're always desiring these things. It's our soul wanting a new habitation. And by the way, knowing that your home is in heaven, if you have no longing to go home to heaven, you just might be way too attached to this world. Now, if you're 16, it takes a little while to get this point. But, uh, you know, but after a certain point, you, especially if you've walked with the Lord at any length of time, the Spirit will give you a desire for heaven. Not that you're trying to get there immediately, but you still have this, attack, this longing for it while you still want to live the best that you possibly can here. At some point, though, I think you'd all agree with Paul, our bodies do groan. They ache. They break down. They age. Our minds actually, our minds actually sigh and groan about our bodies. We have this internal conversation. Mine's talking about me. With no one else but ourselves. Of course, our minds are part of the body. And we can even desire, and I'm sure that this has happened with many believers, Paul himself, we can desire to serve the Lord in ways that our aging and firm bodies no longer allow us to do. I have people say, I'd love to go on a mission trip. I just, I can't do that anymore. I couldn't even walk from the bus to here, whatever that may be. Our soul, which is eternal, can see and perceive that our minds don't have the sharp memory it once did. You ever, have, you ever think about, you're actually talking to yourself about your own bad memory. The same mind that knows it doesn't have a bad memory is thinking about the bad memory. We can think about the fact that we can't think. <laughs> These bodies, just like Adam's, Adam and Eve's bodies, they're made of dust. God formed us out of dust. And they're going to return to dust. Paul's like, he's not hiding this fact. The Bible doesn't run from death. It tells you how to live forever. Amen? The body will receive as children of God. It's not like the body Adam and Eve received. It's going to be the same as Jesus' resurrected body. It's not going to be a blood body. It's going to be a spirit body. And yet, it has flesh. How does that work? I don't know. You don't either. We won't know until we meet Jesus face to face. Amen? No one can tell. It's not going to be a blood body anymore. He, his, he shed his blood. It's not a blood body. It's a spirit body, and yet it has full flesh. This isn't hard for God, by the way, right? We know 
Philippians 3.10, it says this. It says, do I have it up there? Yeah, I do. Um, who will transform our lowly body? This is the way Paul describes our body, lowly. That it may be conformed to his glorious body. Even, you know, guys like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you see him, pictures of him in the 70s. He doesn't look like that now. Have you noticed that? He, uh, and then plastic surgery and all this other stuff. I mean, uh, it, it doesn't look like 1974, Mr. Olympia. It doesn't look the same. Everyone finds out they have a lowly body eventually. I'll find that out someday. I'm just kidding. No, but uh, I always say, no, you found it a long time ago. You know, goes on to say in verse 4, he goes on to say in verse 4 that this tent, again, a metaphor for our bodies being temporary structures, uh, that we're burdened, that we're weighed down, not because we don't want a body, but because we want a new one. The Lord, this one is falling apart. And until that day, we're, I want to remind you, because this isn't in the text, but this is, a, you know, the, the Bible always informs the rest of the Bible. And the same Paul that wrote this says, now in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So even if your body is battling things, if you have a chronic condition, doesn't matter what your state is, if you know the Lord, he still wants you to praise him and thank him. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Psalm, one chapter, Psalm 150. So we're to keep giving thanks and praising him even while we're groaning and burdened because you know, you can, do, you can do hard work. You can think about this. Like most of you, if you try and work out, you know part of it is hard, and you do it anyway because of the benefit, right? I'll go for runs, and I will I, I'll like feel like I'm about to die, and I'll say, I know I can do five more minutes because I know it's beneficial. So I'll be burdened, and I may be groaning. I might be sighing. I'm still trying to praise the whole time. I'll come close to complaining here and there, and sometimes I do. But anyway... But you say, Lord, I'm going to still praise you no matter how my body feels or how your mind may feel. So we have to continue to praise him and give thanks. But we have many reasons, as we know, uh, to praise God. But the truth at the end of verse 4 is one you can cling to right now, this morning, tomorrow. And here's that truth. Look at it at the end of verse 4. That mortality may be swallowed up by life. What a powerful statement. Mortality swallowed by life? We know with full assurance, if you're in Christ Jesus, that our mortality is going to be swallowed up by the living life of Jesus Christ. What an amazing statement. Now, in the natural realm, death swallows everything. It swallows up the Titanic. Eventually, it planes go down. Living, flourishing things die. Trees die. Insects kill massive trees. Animals die, trees, flowers, everything I plant in my backyard, all of it dies. <laughs> Buildings decay, cars die. I have had, I bet you have, I've had a week, not, and actually somewhat recently, where the dryer died, the dishwasher died, <laughs> and a lawn equipment died all in the same week. You ever had that? Like, how do they, I'm glad that I'm not the only one. You all nod your heads like, wow, that feels good that y'all also have had multiple, I don't want you to have multiple things. I'm just saying, we've all had these days where multiple things break at the same time. You're like, am I the only one with this situation? 
No. But for the soul that's now saved in Jesus, immortality is going to swallow mortality. Immortality is going to swallow... Everything else in the world, death swallows everything. It's like it's a big hole, that, it's a vortex sucking everything into it. But Jesus, no, my life is going to swallow death. It's a total reversal because Jesus re re reversed mortality with his immortality. This is why Jesus said, if you've ever read this verse in John eleven twenty six, 26, maybe the first time you read it, said, how is this possible? John eleven twenty six, 26, he says, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He was not talking about the body, was he? He was talking about the soul. The soul in him will never experience the second death. It'll never experience the being sent away from God. Yes, our bodies, our bodies will be eventually laid in the ground unless we are taken up in the rapture of Christ. But once you've been forgiven by Jesus, your soul is going to go from this life straight into eternal life. Amen? Your soul goes straight to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord, the scripture says. There's no break in it. There's no time in hell then thrown in the lake of fire, which we'll get to a little bit later. We have a guarantee right now of this immortal life we've received. And what is it? It's listed. That up there, yeah, it's listed right here. We have a guarantee, a divine seal. We have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. The God and Father who has a home in heaven waiting for us and a new body reserved for us has sealed us right now with what? The inward presence of his spirit. It's in verse 5. He says, now he who has prepared us for this very thing, prepared us for heaven, is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. We have the guarantee of the Spirit. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, I think I've got it up there. Is my John one? One more, there we go. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Holy Spirit has sealed us. If you're, if you're saved, if you've put your faith and trust in Christ, you've asked to be your Lord and Savior, you've turned from your old life and allowed him to come in, uh, you now have the seal of the Spirit. If you have a passport, and some of you do, some of you were headed to Israel with us or you just got back from Guatemala, you know that uh, you have to have a passport. Um, the passport is issued by the U.S. State Department. Uh, you have to have it to travel internationally. You cannot travel without it. I would not suggest trying it. Uh, your day will go much different than you might uh, have wanted it to go. You're going to get a lot of interviews if you decide to travel without a passport. You're going to get to sit and meet people from <laughs> U.S. Customs. Uh, you're going to have long conversations. Um, so not good to try it without it, but <clears throat> just like you can't travel without a passport, it has the seal, it has an actual seal of the U.S. State Department on it. Uh, but you know that because of that, you can travel, but we can not travel and have safe passage to heaven without the Holy Spirit seal. There's, there's no admittance without the seal of the Spirit. But if we have a seal, we have heaven 
to come, but we have that same Spirit's help right now. Amen? So it's not just a, a passport. doesn't really do much for you other than get you from point A to point B. The Holy Spirit does a lot more than get you to point A to point B. He is your helper, companion, your strength, your peace, your rest, your joy, all of those things right now and get you safe passage to the destination. Now, how do we know if we have the Holy Spirit? Well, we have some clues in verses 6 through 8. We have some clues there. And so if you're taking notes, this is our... Why am I off here? There we go. I am off. I have no idea what I did there. But anyway, all right. Uh, I do know what I did. In Ephesians... There should be one there, but it's not. Anyway, uh, we have a current, <laughs> if you're taking notes, it's a current confidence. <clears throat> it's found in verses 6 through 8. So we are always confident, knowing that we, have, we are at home in the body. We are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, I do have Romans up there, so there it is. So in Romans 8.16, it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So the Spirit bears witness. Um, has anyone here ever doubted their salvation? I have. The super spiritual ones, you never have. So I, I, get, I, get, I get that, that you never have. But I have at times in my life. Say, Lord, am I, uh, I'm still an idiot. You know, I, 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 where did that come from? You know, why do I still want to even do this? But the Holy Spirit's the one that actually speaks to me and says, no, this isn't who you are anymore. So, so sometimes it's actually the Spirit that's saying, no, you can't live that way anymore. Or I'll look longingly like ASAP did over the side of the fence and say, but all my colleagues that I used to work with, they now have a second house. They have all this other stuff. Like I, the Lord's like, stop it. That's coveting. So the Spirit himself bears witness and reminds, no, you're a child of God now, and bears witness with your spirit. Our confidence is faith in what Jesus has said, not even our feelings. What Jesus has said. And what we now believe also not only what he said, but we also believe what he has done in us. We now have godly desire. Now, the witness of the Spirit for me, and it should be for you, is you, once you come to Christ, should start to see the Spirit cultivate desires in you you never had before. Like, I think I want to go to church. I never wanted to go to church. Why do I want to go? I think I want to go worship. I want to hear God's Word. I want to actually, believe it or not, I'm actually going to listen to it in the car. Who does that when you didn't know the Lord, right? You know, that's not something you were interested in. He changes your desires. The Spirit gives us a desire to believe, to trust God, to obey, even when we're afraid. You ever been afraid? And God says, I still want you to obey me. Even when our flesh doesn't want to do certain things. I have lots of these times where my flesh says, I, Lord, I don't really want to do that. And God's like, I'm not asking Like a good parent. God is a good parent. He's the best parent. The Spirit gives us the desire to read God's Word, to pray, to be in fellowship with other believers, to talk to the Lord. And even if our 
bodies and minds are fading, we can still, amazingly enough, have a joy we never had when our bodies were great. He gives us the, the Spirit gives us the desire and the ability to persevere. He can give us a peace we've never experienced before, even in difficult places. And it's the inward seal in the presence of God that reminds us of these truths. And the Holy Spirit grows our faith because even the apostles said, Lord, help us, Lord, increase our faith. It's the Spirit that helps us walk by faith and to see things as concrete that are not even seen. Like, I am more positive than the Holy Spirit is in this room than I am that there's cars riding out on the street. I know there's cars riding on the street, but I'm more positive that Jesus is in the presence, in the presence of the Holy, or the presence of the Holy Spirit is right in this room. Amen? Amen? I can't see that, but I don't care if an atheist tells me I'm wrong. They're wrong. I don't care. They, don't, they can't, their unbelief cannot change my belief. How about yours? Because we have the inward seal of the Spirit. The Spirit's convinced me and then when I see prophecy unfolding right in front of my very eyes, the, the word of all those things verify what the Spirit wrote. Everything you're reading was by the Spirit. The Spirit wrote these things. The Spirit confirms in our spirit. This inward seal reminds these truths, and it grows our faith, and it's the Spirit that helps us walk by faith. Uh, there are many steps of faith that we would never take, much less, th uh, we would never think to take, much less actually take, without the Spirit. I've taken many of them that I look back and I'm like, only God helped me take that step. Only, because I would never, and it would be counterintuitive to the way I would think. So this doesn't make any sense. Lastly, in verse 8, and it says, um, we're confident, yes, we're rather well pleased to be asked for the body to be present with the Lord. Uh, this is by the work of the Spirit that we're confident, and we're even pleased, as we, as we grow in faith, to know that our coming departure, in other words, when the tent folds, when God folds up our tent, because everybody that's appointed unto man wants to die, and after this, the judgment, uh, that when our tent folds, it'll be far better to be there than to be in this current tent. And I know that's true. How about you? Like, no one has to convince me of that. Other people say, well, I'll just cease to exist. They say, no, you won't. You're going to exist. You're either going to exist in perfection or in a place of punishment. The Spirit gives us faith and courage for today, but in parallel, it gives us, the Spirit gives us a homesickness for heaven. Because home, I can literally like, love it here in one sense, like I love being with my wife and our three daughters and other family members and you guys, and yet there's a part of me that says, but I'll be glad when we're all in heaven together too. Yeah. I, like it'll be way better. I, know, I can't fathom it, but I know by God's standard, it'll be far, far better. So we have a homesickness for that. Now Paul transitions here from this glorious assurance to a very specific appointment. And so if you're taking notes, this is kind of overarching truth number two, a coming appointment. Jesus, we know he's our lamb. We know he's our savior. We know he's our Lord. We know he's our help. We know he's our strength. We know he saved us. We know he's gone to prepare a place for us. And all that should radically impact how we live our lives. If God's done this much for us, it should radically impact our lives. So Paul goes on as he shifts gears in verse 9. He says, therefore, 
kind of knowing, knowing our future home, knowing what God has prepared, knowing that we have this future glory, a body that will never fade, a totally different tent. It won't be a tent at all because tent's temporary. It'll be permanent. He says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, because when you're present with Jesus, you're going to be pleasing him. But while we're absent from him physically, because he is seated at the right hand of the Father, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing. We are practicing pleasing him now, which we know we'll be doing in heaven when we don't have sin and we're perfected. Our response to what Christ has done, our response to the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what awaits us in glory should be that which causes us to make the aim of our lives to be well-pleased. In other words, we, we literally aim our lives saying, when I get up, on October the 8th, and tomorrow on the 9th, and tomorrow on the, 10th, and the day after that on the 10th, 11th, Lord, my aim today is to be well-pleasing to you. Of all the other things that you aim for that day, and there's other aims that you have, I've got to finish this thing, I've got to turn in this project, I've got to drive here, but their number one aim is to be well-pleasing to Jesus in all those things. Amen? Amen. To please him means to prioritize our lives according to his word and according to his will. And we find his will in his word. So if you say, I don't know the will of God, you need to learn the word of God. The word of God has the will of God. But this is born, this desire to be well-pleasing to him is mostly born out of what? Gratitude and thanksgiving. Because Jesus saved me, and he did, and I know what I deserve, and if you were, you know, measuring yourself based on the perfection of Jesus, you know what you deserve. Say, if he saved you, you say, thank you. you you're, I say thanks a lot in my prayers because that's the number one reason we should desire to do for the Lord is out of thanksgiving. He's not browbeating us. We're great, grateful for what he's done. But there's another aspect of our desire to do things for the Lord. It's called the fear of the Lord. Amen? We talked about that in the book of Acts. The fear of the Lord fell upon the church. And Ananias and Sapphira uh, were, were judged in a very swift manner. It's that awe and respect we have for God, that he's holy. And what he says, we must obey. That is a, it's a real factor. And Paul provides a major point of motivation and awareness. Uh, we know that, you know, your common vernacular we hear in this country is nothing certain but death and taxes, right? You ever hear that? Nothing certain but death and taxes. Um, well, some people get away with taxes, but they're usually in politics. But anyway, that's a different story. Uh, somehow they get away with it. The rest of us do not. But uh, no one gets away from death. But certainly, something that is equal to inevitable is that everyone will stand before the Lord. Everyone's going to stand before the Lord. If a soul is unsaved, they will stand before the great white throne judgment that will be, that will be resulting in every person that stands at the great white throne judgment will be found guilty of one specific sin. All the other sins will fall under that sin, the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And the penalty will be eternity in hell. Uh, it, and the choice that someone will have made is paying, to say, no, I would rather pay for my own sins than Jesus pay for them. I came to the conclusion that I could not afford the price to pay for my own. How about you? It was too high a price. But Jesus could pay the price, and he has paid the price. Say, Lord, I will let you, by your grace, please pay my penalty because I cannot afford the price of eternity to pay them. And so the great white throne will be for those that have rejected Christ and said, I, I don't want your 
atonement. I don't want your forgiveness. I, I'm just fine. I don't need you. But for the saved soul, the believer in Jesus, we have a set appointment to stand before Christ. The, everyone's going to stand before God, either great white throne, but if you're saved, you're not going to go to the great white throne judgment. Praise the Lord for that. The judgment seat of Christ, we're clothed in white robes. The great white throne, everyone's naked before the Lord. Not only physically, but all of their works laid bare. But the judgment seat of Christ is different. It's for the believer. And let me also say that some may be shocked. Uh, it bears saying. Some may be shocked that they, hold on a second. Uh, I said a sinner's prayer. Went right back to living life however I wanted. Man, I did go to church here and there. And then they end up at the great white throne judgment. And Jesus even says, many will say, Lord, Lord. It's a very, very horrifying scene. For people to have a false assurance. What a tragedy that someone would have a false assurance. But our lives should have the inward witness of the Spirit, one, but also the outward witness to ourselves and other people of spiritual fruit. Amen? It's, it's a witness to ourselves and it's a witness to others that we have spiritual fruit. A fruit that Jesus is going to examine. Amen? He's going to examine all our fruit. Is it good fruit? Is it bad fruit? We have a personal accounting I think that's up there. And yeah, personal accounting. Again, the judgment seat of Christ is only for believers. He took our judgment on the cross. But he's going to thoroughly examine our life and our service to him. And that should not cause, I don't know about you, but the longer I walk with the Lord, this does not cause me fear or panic that I'm going to stand before Jesus because I have a loving relationship with him. How about you? I walk with him. But I know I'm going to stand before him. And I know I'm going to have to give an account. It doesn't cause fear and panic. It shouldn't because he loves us. But it should cause us to assess our lives regularly. Where is my life relative to the commands that Jesus has given? Is what the scriptures are saying to me mapping my life? If we examine ourselves what are we going to find? The scriptures tell us to examine ourselves, to take a personal inventory. At the end of our lives, and Paul is saying, hey, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of everything we've ever done, good or bad. We're going to, Jesus is going to take, and he's going to examine our entire life, the entirety of our life post-salvation. For me, I got saved June 1995 at the age of 26. He will not be assessing my 0 through 26 years. He'll be assessing from the time I got saved to 26, so 26 to 54 right now. That's the assessment. Everything before Christ, that's under the cross. Now, my current life's under the cross too. But there's an assessment of, I gave you these many coins, what did you do with them? Remember that parable? I gave you these robes to wear, how did you wear them? I gave you these steps to take, did you take them? I gave you these tasks to do, did you do them, right? So before Christ, he's not judging that. So if I, I did all these things before I got saved, that's not, that'll never be discussed. But he's going to measure our life, at the end of our lives, he's going to examine, was it pleasing to him? Not was it perfect, it's not going to be perfect, but was it faithful? We talk about this a lot. The individual works. Were they of a pure nature or were they works of the flesh? In 1 Corinthians 2, 
First uh, Corinthians 3, uh, got it up on the screen, 12 and 13. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it has been revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Uh, by the way, Jesus has eyes of fire. His, his own flaming fire self will peer through our works. Did we give Jesus our best? Or do we give him our laughter? Hey, Lord, you know what? I am a really busy person, but what I will give you is about 15 minutes a week. And a Sunday service. So he'll, he'll have that discussion. Say, let me roll tape. You never said this verbally. You just lived it constantly. You would not give me more than this. Did we give Jesus our best, or did we give him just our leftovers? Has uh, it been godly motives or selfish motives? Was it done in humility or spiritual pride? And by the way, all of us are going to fail some of these. So I was just don't think, you know, I, I'm going to have things I thought were going to be gold. And God, no, that was wood. <laughs> I, I thought, you know, let's go back and look at your motive. This is why you did that one. Oh, yeah, that's true. I know that, uh, so there will be things that, that will not be gold and silver for every single one of us. But you should have a lot of it. As we continue to walk, and did, did we do it in humility? Was it for Jesus or just to be noticed? Were we willingly doing what he asked, or just dragging our feet? Everyone had to drag us along. Did we serve him with joy or a complaining spirit? Remember how that worked out for Israel? Forty years of lapse. Did we start strong, and along the way we just stopped serving him altogether? Hey, I'm, uh, I used to do that, but I, I don't do that anymore. I don't have time for that anymore. God's like, why did you stop doing that? The New English Bible translates verse 10, we must all have our lives laid open before the tribunal of Christ. Our lives laid open before the tribunal of Christ. You, you may remember in your school years, it's one thing to know an exam is coming, it's another thing when it actually comes. And you try to pull an all-nighter, and you know you absorb 10%. And you know there's going to be a lot of red marks on your paper. A lot of red marks. And I don't want to get before Jesus and have a ton of red marks. How about you? Other than the red blood of his covering. You know? <clears throat> In verse, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 3.15, If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as by fire. Uh, these things were written that they would, we would seek Jesus first in our lives. And, yes, yeah, some people are truly saved, and they're going to come there, and not every single thing that they have is going to be wood, hay, and stone. It's all going to be burned away. And they will suffer loss in that moment. So a, lot of here, a lot of people say, well, I don't care as long as I get them a little shack in glory. Don't think that way. That is not from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would never put that thought in your head, as long as I get my little shack in glory. That is, that is, that is Satan thinking. That is not the Holy Spirit at all. God would never say that. He would say, give me your best. And I'll tell you what you're going to get when you'll get there. <laughs> but don't say, I just, long, I just want to skate in. I think anyone that's saved yet is by fire is not thinking that way. They just kind of got off track. But they're not constantly thinking, hey, I just want to get my little shack. You know, that's probably a great way thrown more than it is judgment seat of Christ. I hope that makes sense. Last point of the overarching a glorious accountability. And so let me read verses 12 through, uh, 12 through 21. 
For we do not commend ourselves, and, uh, back to verse 11 real quick. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, but I also trust are well known in your consciences. That's verse 11, verse 12. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those that boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, for we, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And if he died for all, that those who should live for him should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he who made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And with the last couple of minutes I have, I, only, I can only touch on these briefly, but I just wanted to real quickly, because uh, our undeserved atonement, because of our undeserved atonement in the blood of Jesus, because of the assurance that we have a forever home in heaven with Jesus, because we know of his love for souls in this world, we've been given an accountability to complete his work until he comes and brings us home. So we continue his mission. And by the grace and help of the Spirit, we're the hands and feet of his mission until he, he's the head and we're the body, until he brings us physically together. We have the responsibility, the accountability to be his light, be his witnesses, and bring his gospel to the souls around the world while we're called to grow in his grace. And so these bullet points that you see up there, one, we have a pre present urgency. Just note verse 11. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. It's urgent. We have an urgent mission. Souls are at stake. And that urgency that we're going to stand before Jesus is good to waking us up too. Amen? It's not just the lost people. It's also the saver awakened. Number two there, a compelling love in verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us. Before I got saved, if there was someone I didn't like, I just didn't like them. How about you? I hope that God has changed that in you. Now, I temporarily don't like them still. And then I say, Lord, but you love them. And they probably don't temporarily like me either. But I get that. You know. But I just say, Lord, if you love them, give me. A, and and you, you start to be kind. The love of Christ compels us. But only the Holy Spirit can give you a love for unlovable people like yourself. Just look in the mirror and you'll find someone unlovable. But number three, a different life. In verse 15, it says that those who live should no longer live for themselves. We now, before we say we were saved, everything was about it yourself. Now everything's about Jesus and others. We don't live for ourselves anymore. I mean, we 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 all autopilot still do. He steers us back again a million times to stop living for yourself. Because even later this week, you will start notice, hey, I kind of just live for myself in this moment. And God's like, not about you. It's about me. It's about them. 
And then you'll be blessed, by the way, when you don't make it about you. A new creation, we have to remind ourselves that he made us new, but we have to tell other people, hey, he can make you new. When you meet people say, God could never do this on damaged goods, say, he's really good with damaged goods. That's all he has to work with is damaged goods. That's all of us. So he, he makes us a new creation, and you express to other people, he can make you a new creation. I don't care if you're a Hamas terrorist. I don't care if you're an atheist. I don't care if you're Orthodox Jewish. I don't care if you are a Hollywood celebrity, an elite. Everyone can be made new. Amen? Given ministry, verse 18 and 19, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. There will never be reconciliation between Palestinians and Jews that hate each other unless Jesus saves both sides. Amen? It works on a national level. It works individually. Marriages that are destined for divorce can all of a sudden be healed when both people turn to Jesus. The ministry of reconciliation, we have been given it. I sit with people all the time and say, look, you can be reconciled. No, we can't. Yes, you can. Is Jesus greater or are you greater? Which is it going to be? So we have that. And then we have the humble role of being ambassadors. This is all about we're going to be accountable for all these things someday. So how do we do it? You have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to like sit there and think about the minutiae. Holy Spirit, just help me keep your aim on pleasing him, and all these things fall into place. But they're still listed here to understand them. What is the humble role? Humble ambassadors. We're just ambassadors for Jesus. Saying, all I do is represent what he's done for me. I present it to you. And then lastly, we have this righteous reminder where he said, he became sin for us. Our life, our message, our mission, it always comes back to Jesus. Always comes back to him. Paul closes it, always comes back to him. And as we close this study, this is all good news if you're walking with Jesus. But even if, say, you've gotten off track and you are not making it your aim to please him, he allows you right now to say, Lord, I'm coming back. Amen? Because he is coming back, but we need to come back before he comes back. Let's close in prayer. Father, we again ask you to help us to put you first, to make it our aim to please you. We know you've prepared a home for us. We know that you have a, a new body and a glorious body that will match yours. We know all these things are coming. We know that we'll stand before you and say, Lord, we want to be pleasing to you, not only out of gratitude, but also a healthy fear and awe and respect for you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would remind us of these things, not, uh, Lord, out of punishment, but out of love. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and reminds. And so, Lord, as we, our heads are bowed, you know, I'm not going to ask anyone to stand or come forward, but I would say to you, if the Lord has spoken to you, just say to him in your heart, Jesus, I'm recommitting to make you the aim of my life, to please you, to serve you, and to put you first. Help me to live it by the power of your Holy Spirit. If you need prayer afterwards, we'll be up here. Why don't you stand? We close in worship.